0: Section 7 of The Awkward Age by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon. Book Second, Chapter 4. Lord Petherton, a man of five and thirty, whose robust but symmetrical proportions gave to his dark blue double breasted coat an air of tightness that just failed of compromising his tailor, had for his main facial sign a certain pleasant brutality. The effect partly of a bold, handsome parade of carnivorous teeth, partly of an expression of nose suggesting that this feature had paid a little, in the heat of youth, for some aggression, at the time admired and even publicly commemorated. He would have been ugly, he substantively granted, had he not been happy. He would have been dangerous, had he not been warranted. Many things doubtless performed for him this last service, but none so much as the delightful sound of his voice, the voice, as it were, of another man, a nature reclaimed, super-civilized, adjusted to the perpetual chaff which kept him smiling in a way that would have been a mistake, and indeed an impossibility, if he had really been witty. His bright familiarity was that of a young prince whose confidence had never had to falter, and the only thing that at all qualified the resemblance was the equal familiarity excited in his subjects. Mr. Mitchett had so little intrinsic appearance that an observer would have felt indebted for help in placing him to the rare prominence of his colourless eyes and the positive attention drawn to his chin by the precipitation of its retreat from discovery. Dressed, on the other hand, not as gentlemen dress in London to pay their respects to the fair, he excited by the exhibition of garments that had nothing in common save the violence and the independence of their pattern a belief that in the desperation of humility he wished to render public his having thrown to the winds the effort to please it was written all over him that he had judged once for all his personal case and that as his character superficially disposed to gaiety deprived him of the resource of shyness and shade the effect of comedy might not escape him if secured by a real plunge. There was comedy, therefore, in the form of his pot-hat and the colour of his spotted shirt, in a systematic disagreement, above all, of his coat, waistcoat and trousers. It was only on long acquaintance that his so many ingenious ways of showing he appreciated his commonness could present him as secretly rare. "'And where's the child this time?' "'he asked of his hostess "'as soon as he was seated near her. "'Why do you say it this time "'as if it were different from any other time?' "'she replied as she gave him his tea. "'Only because, "'as the months and the years elapse, "'it's more and more of a wonder, "'whenever I don't see her, "'to think what she does with herself, "'or what you do with her. "'What it does show, I suppose,' "'Mr. Mitchett went on, "'is that she takes no trouble to meet me.' "'My dear Mitchy said mrs brookenham what do you know about trouble either poor nanda's or mine or anybody's else you've never had to take any in your life you're the spoiled child of fortune and you skim over the surface of things in a way that seems often to represent you as supposing everybody else has wings most other people are sticking fast in their native mud mud mrs brooke mud mud he protestingly cried as while he watched his fellow-visitor move to a distance with their host he glanced about the room taking in afresh the louis sirs secretary which looked better close than open and for which he always had a knowing eye remarkably charming mud well that's what a great deal of the element really appears to-day to be thought and precisely as a specimen mitchy dear those two french books you were so good as to send me and which—really, this time, you extraordinary man! She fell back, intimately reproachful, from the effect produced on her, renouncing all expression save that of the rolled eye. Why, were they particularly dreadful? Mitchie was honestly surprised. I rather liked the one in the pink cover. What's the confounded thing called? I thought it had a sort of a something or other. He had cast his eye about, as if for a glimpse of the forgotten title— "'and she caught the question as he vaguely and good-humouredly dropped it. "'A kind of a morbid modernity. "'There is that,' she dimly conceded. "'Is that what they call it? "'Awfully good name. "'You must have got it from old Van,' he gaily declared. "'I dare say I did. "'I get the good things from him and the bad ones from you. "'But you're not to suppose,' Mrs. Brookenham went on, "'that I've discussed your horrible book with him.' "'Come, I say,' Mr. Mitch protested. "'I've seen you with books from Vanderbank, which, if you have discussed them with him—' "'Well,' he laughed, "'I should like to have been there.' "'You haven't seen me with anything like yours. "'No, no, never, never!' She was particularly positive. "'Van, on the contrary, gives tremendous warnings, makes apologies in advance for things that, well, after all, haven't killed one.' "'That have even, perhaps, a little, after the warnings, let one down.' She took no notice of this coarse pleasantry. She simply adhered to her thesis. "'One has taken one's dose, and one isn't such a fool as to be deaf to some fresh, true note, if it happens to turn up. But for abject, horrid, unredeemed vileness, from beginning to end—' "'So you read to the end,' Mr. Mitchett interposed.' I read to see what you could possibly have sent such things to me for, and because, so long as they were in my hands, they were not in the hands of others. Please to remember in the future that the children are all over the place, and that Harold and Nanda have their nose in everything. I promise to remember, Mr. Mitchett returned, as soon as you make old Van do the same. I do make old Van. I pull old Van up much oftener than I succeed in pulling you. I must say... "'Mrs. Brookenham went on. "'You're all getting to require among you, in general, "'an amount of what one may call editing.' "'She gave one of her droll universal sighs. "'I've got your books at any rate locked up, "'and I wish you'd send for them quickly again. "'One's too nervous about anything happening "'and their being perhaps found among one's relics. "'Charming literary remains,' she laughed. "'The friendly Mitchy was also much amused. "'By Jove!' The most awful things are found. Have you heard about old Randage and what his executors have just come across? The most abominable? I haven't heard, she broke in, and I don't want to. But you give me a shudder, and I beg you'll have your offerings removed, since I can't think of confiding them for the purpose to anyone in this house. I might burn them up in the dead of night, but even then I should be fearfully nervous. I'll send them my usual messenger, said mitchy a person i keep for such jobs thoroughly seasoned as you may imagine and of a discretion what you call it a toute épreuve only you must let me say that i like your terror about harold do you think he spends his time over dr watts's hymns mrs brookenham just hesitated and nothing in general was so becoming to her as the act of hesitation dear mitchy do you know i want awfully to talk to you about harold about his french reading mrs brook mitchy responded with interest the worse things are let me just mention to you about that the better they seem positively to be for one's feeling up in the language they're more difficult the bad ones and there's a lot in that all the young men know it those who are going up for exams she had her eyes for a little on lord petherton and her husband then as if she had not heard what her interlocutor had just said she overcame her last scruple dear mitchy has he had money from you he stared with his good goggle eyes he laughed out why on earth but do you suppose i'd tell you if he had he hasn't really borrowed the most dreadful sums mitchy was highly diverted why should he for what please that's just it for what what does he do with it all what in the world becomes of it well mitchy suggested He's saving up to start a business. "'Harold's irreproachable, hasn't a vice. "'Who knows in these things what may happen? "'He sees further than any young man I know. "'Do let him save.' She looked far away with her sweet world-weariness. "'If you weren't an angel, it would be a horror to be talking to you. "'But I insist on knowing.' She insisted now with her absurdly pathetic eyes on him. "'What kind of sums?' "'You shall never, never find out. "'Not if you were never to speak to me again,' "'Mr. Mitchet replied with extravagant firmness. "'Harold's one of my great amusements. "'I really have awfully few. "'And if you deprive me of him, you'll be a fiend. "'There are only one or two things I want to live for, "'but one of them is to see how far Harold will go. "'Please give me some more tea.' "'Do you positively swear?' "'She asked with intensity as she helped him.' then without waiting for his answer you have the common charity to us i suppose to see the position you'd put us in fancy edward she quite austerely threw off mr mitchett at this had on his side a wonder does edward imagine my dear man edward never imagined anything in life she still had her eyes on him therefore if he sees a thing don't you know it must exist Mitchy, for a little fixed the person mentioned as he sat with his other guest, but whatever this person saw, he failed just then to see his wife's companion, whose eyes he never met. His face only offered itself after the fashion of a clean domestic vessel, a receptacle with the peculiar property of constantly serving, yet never filling, to Lord Petherton's talkative splash. "'Well, only don't let him take it up. Let it be only between you and me.' Mr. Mitchett pleaded, keep him quiet. Don't let him speak to me. He appeared to convey with his pleasant extravagance that Edward looked dangerous, and he went on with a rigor of levity. It must be our little quarrel. There were different ways of meeting such a tone, but Mrs. Brookenham's choice was remarkably prompt. I don't think I quite understand what dreadful joke you may be making, but I dare say if you had let Harold borrow, you'd have another manner. "'and I was at any rate determined "'to have the question out with you.' "'Let us always have everything out. "'That's quite my own idea.' "'It's you,' said Mr. Mitchett, "'who are by no means "'always so frank with me, "'as I recognize. "'Oh, I do that. "'What it must have cost you "'to be over this little question of Harold. "'There's one thing, Mrs. Brooke, "'you do dodge.' "'What do I ever dodge, dear Mitchie?' "'Mrs. Brooke quite tenderly asked why when i ask you about your other child you're off like a frightened fawn when have you ever on my doing so said my darling mitchy i'll ring for her to be asked to come down so that you can see her for yourself when have you ever said anything like that i see mrs brookenham mused you think i sacrifice her you're very interesting among you all and i've certainly a delightful circle the Duchess has just been letting me have it most remarkably hot, and as she's presently coming back, you'll be able to join forces with her. Mitchy looked a little at a loss. On the subject of your sacrifice? Of my innocent and helpless, yet somehow at the same time as a consequence of my cynicism, dreadfully damaged and depraved daughter. She took in for an instant the slight bewilderment against which, as a result of her speech, even so expert an intelligence as mr mitchett's had not been proof then with a small jerk of her head at the other side of the room made the quickest of transitions what is there between her and him mitchy wondered at the other two between edward and the girl don't talk nonsense between petherton and jane Mitchy could only stare, and the white noonday light of his regard was at such moments really the redemption of his ugliness. "'What is there? Is there anything?' "'It's too beautiful,' Mrs. Brookenham appreciatively sighed. "'Your relation with him. You won't compromise him.' "'It would be nicer of me,' Mitchy laughed, "'not to want to compromise her.' "'Oh, Jane,' Mrs. Brookenham dropped, "'Does he like her?' she continued. "'You must know.' "'Ah, it's just my knowing that constitutes the beauty of my loyalty, of my delicacy.' He had his quick jumps, too. "'Am I never, never to see the child?' This inquiry appeared only to confirm his friend in the view of what was touching in him. "'You're the most delicate thing I know, and it crops up with effect the oddest in the intervals of your corruption.' your talk's half the time impossible you respect neither age nor sex nor condition one doesn't know what you'll say or do next and one has to return your books said tout dire under cover of darkness yet there is in the midst of all this and in the general abyss of you a little deep-down delicious niceness a sweet sensibility that one is actually oneself shocked as one perpetually is at you quite to hold one's breath "'and stay one's hand for fear of ruffling or bruising. "'There's no one in talk with whom,' she balmly continued, "'I find myself half so often suddenly moved to pull up short. "'You've more little toes to tread on, though you pretend you haven't. "'I mean, morally speaking, don't you know? Than even I have myself. "'And I've so many that I could wish most of them cut off. "'You never spare me a shock.' No, you don't do that. It isn't the form your delicacy takes. But you'll know what I mean all the same, I think, when I tell you that there are lots I spare you. Mr. Mitchett fairly glowed with the candor of his intention. Know what you mean, dearest lady? How can a man handicapped to death, a man of my origin, my appearance, my general weaknesses, drawbacks, immense indebtedness, all round, for the start, as it were, that I feel my friends have been so good as to allow me. How can such a man not be conscious every moment that everyone about him goes on tiptoe and winks at everyone else? What can you all mention in my presence, poor things, that isn't personal? Mrs. Brookenham's face covered him for an instant, as no painted madonnas had ever covered the little charge of the breast beneath it and the finest thing of all in you is your beautiful, beautiful pride. You're prouder than all of us put together." She checked a motion that he had apparently meant as a protest. She went on with her muffled wisdom. "'There isn't a man but you whom Petherton wouldn't have made vulgar. He isn't vulgar himself, at least not exceptionally. But he's just one of those people, a class one knows well." Who are so fearfully in this country the cause of it in others for all i know he's the cause of it in me the cause of it even in poor edward for i'm vulgar mitchy dear very often and the marvel of you is that you never are thank you for everything thank you above all for marvel mitchy grinned oh i know what i say she didn't in the least blush i'll tell you something she pursued with the same gravity, if you'll promise to tell no one on earth. If you're proud, I'm not. There, it's most extraordinary, and I try to conceal it even to myself, but there's no doubt whatever about it. I'm not proud pour deux sous. And some day, on some awful occasion, I shall show it. So I notify you. Shall you love me still? To the bitter end. "'Mitchy loyally responded. "'For how can, how need a woman be proud "'who's so preternaturally clever? "'Pride's only for use when wit breaks down. "'It's the train the cyclist takes "'when his tire's deflated. "'When that happens to your tire, Mrs. Brooke, "'you'll let me know. "'And you do make me wonder just now,' he confessed, "'why you're taking such particular precautions "'and throwing out such a cloud of skirmishers. "'If you want to shoot me dead,' A single bullet will do.' He faltered but an instant before completing his sense. "'Where you really want to come out is at the fact that Nanda loathes me, and that I might as well give up asking for her.' "'Are you quite serious?' his companion, after a moment, resumed. "'Do you really and truly like her, Mitchy?" "'I like her as much as I dare to.' As much as a man can like a girl, when from the very first of his seeing her and judging her, he has also seen, and seen with all the reasons, that there is no chance for him whatever. Of course, with all that, he has done his best not to let himself go. But there are moments, Mr. Midgett ruefully added, when it would relieve him awfully to feel free for a good spin. "'I think you exaggerate,' his hostess replied, "'the difficulties in your way.' What do you mean by all the reasons? Why, one of them I've already mentioned. I make her flesh creep. My own Mitchy, Mrs. Brookenham protestingly moaned. The other is that, very naturally, she is in love. With whom under the sun? Mrs. Brookenham had, with her startled stare, met his eyes long enough to have taken something from him before he next spoke you really have never suspected. With whom conceivably but old Van?' "'Nanda's in love with old Van!' The degree to which she had never suspected was scarce to be expressed. "'Why, he's twice her age. He has seen her in a pinafore with a dirty face and well slept for it. He has never thought of her in the world.' "'How can a person of your acuteness, my dear woman?' Mitchie asked mentioned such trifles as having the least to do with the case. How can you possibly have such a fellow about, so beastly good-looking, so infernally well turned out in the way of culture, and so bringing them down in short on every side, and expect in the bosom of your family, the absence of history of the reigns of the good kings? If you were a girl, wouldn't you turn purple? If I were a girl, shouldn't I? Unless, as is more likely, I turned green.' Mrs. Brookenham was deeply affected. "'Nanda, does turn purple? "'The loveliest shade you ever saw. "'It's too absurd that you haven't noticed.' It was characteristic of Mrs. Brookenham's amiability that, with her sudden sense of the importance of this new light, she should be quite ready to abase herself. "'There are so many things in one's life. "'One follows false sense. "'One doesn't make out everything at once. "'If you're right, you must help me.' We must see more of her. But what good will that do me? Mitchie appealed. Don't you care enough for her to want to help her? Then before he could speak. Poor little darling dear, his hostess tenderly ejaculated. What does she think or dream? Truly she's laying up treasure. Oh, he likes her, said Mitchie. He likes her, in fact, extremely. Do you mean he has told you so? Oh, no, we never mention it. But he likes her, Mr. Mitchard stubbornly repeated, and he's thoroughly straight. Mrs. Brookenham for a moment turned these things over, after which she came out in a manner that visibly surprised him. It isn't as if you wished to be nasty about him, is it? Because I know you like him yourself. You're so wonderful to your friends. Oh, she could let him see that she knew, and in such different and exquisite ways there are those like him she signified her other visitor who get everything out of you and whom you really appear fond of or at least to put up with just for that then there are those who ask nothing and whom you're fond of in spite of it mitchy leaned back from this fist within fist watching her with a certain disguised emotion he grinned almost too much for mere amusement that's the class to which you belong. It's the best one, she returned, and I'm careful to remain in it. You try to get us by bribery into the inferior place, because, proud as you are, it bores you a little that you like us so much. But we won't go. At least I won't. You may make Van, she wonderfully continued. There's nothing you wouldn't do for him or give him. Mitchy admired her from his position, slowly shaking his head with it. He's the man, with no fortune and just as he is, to the smallest particular, whom you would have liked to be, whom you intensely envy, and yet to whom you're magnanimous enough for almost any sacrifice. Mitchy's appreciation had fairly deepened to a flush. Magnificent! Magnificent, Mrs. Brooke! What are you in thunder up to? "'Therefore, as I say,' she imperturbably went on, "'it's not to do him an ill turn that you make a point of what you've just told me.' Mr. Mitchet, for a minute, gave no sign but his high colour and his queer glare. "'How could it do him ill turn?' "'Oh, it would be a way, don't you see, to put before me the need of getting rid of him. For he may like Nanda as much as you please,' "'He'll never, never,' Mrs. Brookenham resolutely quavered. "'He'll never come to the scratch. "'And to feel that as I do,' she explained, "'can only be, don't you also see, to want to save her?' "'It would have appeared at last that poor Mitchy did see. "'By taking it in time? "'By forbidding him the house?' "'She seemed to stand with little nipping scissors "'in a garden of alternatives,' or by shipping her off. "'Will you help me to save her?' she broke out again after a moment. "'It isn't true,' she continued, "'that she has any aversion to you.' "'Have you charged her with it?' Mitchy demanded, with a courage that amounted to high gallantry. It inspired on the spot his interlocutress, and her own pluck, of as fine a quality now as her diplomacy, which was saying much, "'fell but little below. "'Yes, my dear friend, frankly. "'Good, then I know what she said. "'She absolutely denied it. "'Oh, yes, they always do, because they pity me,' Mitchy smiled. "'She said what they always say, "'that the effect I produce is, though at first upsetting, "'one that little by little they find it possible to get used to. "'The world's full of people who are getting used to me.' "'Mr. Mitchet concluded. "'It's what I shall never do, "'for you're quite too great a luxury,' "'Mrs. Brookenham declared. "'If I haven't thrust you out really more with Nanda,' "'she continued, "'it has been from a scruple of a sort "'you people never do a woman the justice to impute. "'You are the object of views "'that have so much more to set them off.' "'Mr. Mitchet on this jumped up. "'He was clearly conscious of his nerves. "'He fidgeted away a few steps,' and then, his hands in his pockets, fixed on his hostess a countenance more controlled. "'What does the Duchess mean by her daughter's being, as I understood you to quote her just now, damaged and depraved?' Mrs. Brookenham came up, she literally rose, smiling. "'You fit the cap. You know how she'd like you for little Aggie.' "'What does she mean? What does she mean?' Mitchy repeated. The door, as he spoke, was thrown open. Mrs. Brookenham glanced round. You've the chance to find out from herself. The duchess had come back, and little Aggie was in her wake. End of section 7